welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Golander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good, I think, morning to you. Uh, is it morning or after? No, afternoon there to you, Kobus. It's afternoon. Good Just afternoon. <laughs> and uh, a very good evening. We're welcome to uh, Daouda Sisse, who normally is at Stellenbosch, uh, very close by to uh, to Cobus in in Cobus's former stomping grounds at Stellenbosch University in Cape Town, but now is all the way up north in Uppsala, Sweden, where he's doing a three month research stint at the Nordic African Institute. Welcome back to the show, Dauda. Thanks, Eric. Uh, hi, Cobus. <laughs> this is the third time that Dauda has been on our show. Uh, Dauda Cisse is a research fellow at Stellenbosch, and he was joining us from Beijing two years ago for the FOCAC, and now up in Sweden. So we have yet to actually talk to you from Cape Town. Right. Okay, so hopefully the next time we'll, we'll talk to you from Cape Town. Today we're going to talk about uh, an issue, obviously the China-Africa relationship, which is Dauda's specialty. Um, and we're going to talk about the, the, the trade relationship. But typically when we talk about the China-Africa trade relationship, oftentimes there's a, just a bias or a tilt that happens towards the Chinese side. And what I mean by that is that we tend to look more into the motivations, into the strategy, into the economics of it from a Chinese perspective. And I guess that's obvious and that's understandable in many respects because China is the, the actor here that a lot of people are trying to figure out and understand because the influence is growing all over the world. But today we want to kind of turn the table and focus our discussion exclusively on the African side. And the reason why I want to do this is because in a, in a paper that Dauda wrote uh, towards the end of uh, 2013, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dauda, but I think you did this for the African East Asian Affairs China Monitor Journal. Uh, and, you wrote, and you wrote, you said here, quote, for these opportunities to materialize, African stakeholders need an overarching strategy. And I thought that was very interesting, in part because you kept coming back in a lot of your recent writing to the need for African stakeholders to have a strategy. And so I think today what we'd like to talk about is who among the African stakeholders has a strategy, who does not, and how is this playing out from the African side. So let's let's kind of start off on a very broad um, when you give a grade, A through F, to most African governments in their economic and trade dealings with the Chinese, how would you grade them? Well, uh, for me, it would be very challenging to, to give a grade to a specific country because, uh, of course, I do not have eyes on all African countries, but uh, I can talk about the overall overall uh, engagement between African countries okay. and, let's, and let's, let's do so, the overall then. We'll go with the overall. Right. So what we okay uh, what we see so far is uh, lack of strategy as you mentioned but also lack of structure because there is there is this uh, this increasing uh, continuous issue of of african countries uh, not having a clear structure in terms of uh, institutions uh, in terms of uh, policies in terms of uh, regulations and for that matter it it makes it very difficult to engage with any any economic partner, be it the Chinese, the Japanese, the Europeans, the Americans, and so forth and so on. Uh, some countries are trying to, to I mean, to find uh, better ways, uh, you know, with dealing with uh, with Chinese, for instance. Uh, I mean, the case of uh, you know, the case of Rwanda has been uh, has been often mentioned by colleagues who who have done fieldwork in Rwanda and engaging with. With Rwandan government and Rwandan policymakers uh, to get more insights about 
about uh, you know different strategies uh, you know how to how to attract Chinese investments in a better way that benefits uh, you know uh, that benefit the Rwandans and Rwanda itself. So uh, some countries, for instance, have have seen uh, advantages in terms of attracting, let's say, the manufacturing investments uh, by China in 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 their countries. Uh, in South Africa, we visited. I mean, a colleague of mine and uh, myself, we visited we visited a manufacturing a Chinese manufacturing company. Actually, it's a joint venture company in uh, Atlantis in the Western Cape. Uh, just, just to, to kind of, to kind of contrast what we, what we, what we read so far in the in the news or in the media coverage and the ground, the ground uh, information. So when we went there, we were, we were totally surprised, and we found that uh, that company could be a success. You know, uh, if any other African country wants to to bring in Chinese manufacturing industry. Uh, there is also more and more interest in the African side to, let's say, to boost the private sector. That could that could help, for instance, to 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 bring a balance into into China-Africa trade, uh, linking private sector and manufacturing. Uh, you know, could be could be a way to be able to manufacture goods, but and and again export to the Chinese market, not only to the Chinese market, but also to the rest of the world. Because uh, more often when we look at Africa's export to the rest of the world, it's mainly primary uh, commodities, primary goods. Um, so, Dada, in you know, I suppose one big um, division one could make between African countries are that some African countries have a lot of of natural resources. So, you're talking about oil in Nigeria and Angola, you know, um, gold in Ghana, and, and so on. Um, and then some don't. Um, so, is is that a, a natural kind of division? One could make if one one analyzes these links and um, and in the long run, who do you think um, who will, who will, who is better off? You know, kind of obviously in the short run, African countries with lots of natural resources can sell those resources and presumably use that money in for development. But my feeling is that that in the case of of a place like Ethiopia, for example, um, you know, kind of Ethiopia has actually moved ahead with withdrawing Chinese manufacturing. So, like, how, how do you how do you break those down and, and like which which horse would you would you favor in in, in that particular race? Well, uh, I think it depends. It depends first on what a country has a comparative advantage uh, in. That's 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 of course something to take into account, but again, uh, strategy is very important. Uh, those resource-rich countries that you're talking about, uh, if they 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 are not careful enough, you know, uh, they they will end up selling all their resources, and then not as economic sectors will develop in their in their places, and uh, that's that's the worry most of the time uh, when we see how some African countries are focusing on on uh, resources exports to China and to other parts of the world and not being able to develop other sectors of their economies. Uh, and again, uh, even like the fact that China is now moving from, you know, from uh, export-driven to uh, imports, uh, I mean, uh, to consumption-driven economy might have an impact on, on the way of its engagement between, uh, you know, uh, with, with those uh, resource-less African uh, countries uh, because... China has contributed to, uh, I mean, to the rise of the world commodity prices because of its needs for resources. But again, if this shift, this economic shift is taking place in China, 
it might be a different scenario in the future. Uh, so it's better to develop as a as a as a sectors of the economies to take advantage of of what is being done in the in the in the particular resource sector for the moment. Like and then if you talk about a country like Ethiopia, uh, Ethiopia doesn't have I mean doesn't have let's say uh, oil for instance or is not is not a resource rich country uh, you know compared to Nigeria Sudan you know uh, DRC and others, uh, but. What it's trying to do is is to bring in manufacturing to be able to create jobs for Ethiopians, which is which is which is one thing. Of of course, that that should be managed very carefully because very often, well, uh, very often what we see with with the Chinese involvement in the manufacturing sector is competition. So if you bring in investors or any investment, if you're not uh, strategic enough to to kind of uh, put regulations and rules for your for your own domestic market it might be problematic in the in the long run how much optimism do you have that that african stakeholders and african leaders uh, will do what's in the best interest of their people and the reason i ask this is because it, it seems to me and again i'm not an expert here so i, I yeah. apologize and i just want to kind of put a disclaimer out there that nothing i'm saying is meant to sound condescending in any way so that, yeah, that, yeah, that sure. you know there's just a lot of context here but there seems to me to be very low faith among uh, a broad swath of the African population across the continent from, you know, we're talking from Cairo to Cape Town, that African leaders, when they're dealing with money of the scale and size that we're talking about with the Chinese, that, that they will do the right thing. And so when you see a new generation of leaders coming into the fore right now, I'm thinking of people like Arthur Mutambara, the deputy prime minister of Zimbabwe, who is expressing a voice saying, we need to reformulate and rethink the China-Africa relationship. Now, on the one hand, I get excited because I, I look at Mutambara and I hear what he's saying and I think this is great because he's thinking about his people first. But then you think about the other politicians in Harare and you don't really get an enormous amount of confidence that they are thinking about their people first. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you about what your sense of confidence is that African stakeholders, leaders, politicians, mm-hmm. corporate leaders are, are actually doing the right thing. And do you see uh, you know, more people like Mutambara coming out down the line who are smart who are savvy and who get it that the, that the relationship right now is really tilting in favor of China and needs to be reoriented to more uh, an equitable uh, partnership. Yes, uh, that's a, that's a very interesting question. And as an academic, that's what we that's what we talk about most of the time among among African academics and also with other with other colleagues. Uh, the thing is that you know Africa has been receiving foreign investments since very long time, and when we talk about investments or when we talk about uh, any engagement, there should be benefits for the country or for countries and the population. Uh, and that has, that has not occurred in, in, a, in, an, in an efficient way. Uh, now talking about, talking about, you know, the Chinese engagement in Africa, we, we kind of see the same, the same scenario that, that, you know, that, that used to happen with, with other investments. Uh, it's not. It's not because African policymakers don't know how to, how to manage that, or don't know how to how to operate to make such investment or such engagement with partners, uh, benefitable or profitable to to the country. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, 
to the country and their people. For me personally, what I think about is a kind of lack of goodwill from African policymakers to be able to 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 use mm-hmm. uh, to use such investments in a way that it creates it creates jobs, for instance, for people, in a way that it develops it enables them to develop other sectors of economies without uh, damages to, to the environment, without any harm to the uh, livelihood of people. And for that, uh, they have not achieved. They have not achieved it. Because uh, from I mean from South Africa to 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 Cairo, for instance, or to you know to Senegal, to Zimbabwe, what we see so far, not only for the Chinese investment, but also for any other investment, they have not been uh, very strategic in you know in dealing with such with such uh, presence or with such opportunity. Okay, so so Kobus, I'd like to kind of touch base with you based on. A show we had, we did a couple weeks ago, talking about the public opinion. Oh, it was with the Ethics Institute, and the Ethics Institute of South Africa gave very poor marks based on a survey it did to Chinese businesses. And I'm wondering how much do you think, based on what Dauda is saying here, the frustration that people have in the low marks and the low grades that they give to Chinese businesses may be just an extension of their own frustration with their own government for their inability to deal with foreign investors. And they're not necessarily differentiating between the Chinese, the French, anybody else. It's just a general frustration. Or or am I reading too much into this? No, I, I would. I tend to to go with you on on, on this point. Um, I think what I, what I've seen sometimes happening in in African media is that the Chinese are kind of used as a scapegoat to express frustrations with with um, with the government, actually with the local government. So and and frequently the the kind of logic that's behind that is that the local government is 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 corrupt anyway, and that the Chinese are the the, the kind of newest you know kind of. Uh, sugar daddy on the block, um, you know, and that uh, if it if they weren't in with the Chinese, they would have been in with someone else. And then, um, you know, and and I think to a certain extent, sometimes, um, you know, the Chinese, you know, obviously Ch- Chinese investment in Africa is a very complicated thing. But the, you 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 do find moments where where either through naivety or just you know kind of maybe maybe also strategic thinking it, it you know the chinese investment seems to follow that pattern so for example um there's been a, a long running controversy or like the last year has been very controversial in south africa about um a chinese uh, conglomerate that that uh, provided financing for for a uh, a conglomerate that took over uh, or that, that 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 invested in a big media house in south africa and most of the of the shareholders of that conglomerate are related to the south african government and particularly the ruling party in certain kind of ways and the Chinese investment was minority investment which kind of tipped it over the edge and made it possible for them for that deal to go ahead so you know the it's a lot of people are asking asking whether the there's any real profit coming out of that investment or whether it was to cement relations you know kind of with the ruling party in South Africa and seen from outside of the ruling party there is this this kind of perception of this kind of unholy alliance between a government and the Chinese, you know. So, so I think that 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 is a uh, that is an issue. Um, Dauda, I was wondering, um, do you to you know, we we've in the past we we discussed. Um, 
you know the the amount of attention that is paid to China as as a an economic example in Africa compared to many other kinds of coverage about China. You know, in in, in research that that I did, uh, you see, you know, kind of really like a, like a. a the majority of African press attention goes to to China as as a developing you know kind of as as a, as a model of development rather than many other kind of issues around surrounding China. Um, so what kind of aspects of Chinese growth can African countries emulate, and which do you think are not really open for them to emulate? You know what I used to tell my my academic colleagues or friends about African policymakers is basically a lack of vision. A lack of vision, meaning that they don't have a clear vision, or you know, they don't want to. Ha- I mean, they don't want to have a vision to to change things in Africa, uh, because all those countries that have that have developed today, and if you look at the Southeast Asian countries, their leaders had a vision, and that vision enables them to 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 make a difference today. So, and vision, you know involves involves uh, many things i'm not talking about political vision here i'm talking about you know overall vision and basic uh, you know and based on based on uh, things to do to move your country from point a to point to point b of course i mean china uh, has has moved you know uh, you know from being uh, you know uh, a very underdeveloped place to a developing place today and if you travel to China, you do. I mean, you see, you see uh, that growth. But that growth again within within China's uh, you know uh, domestic context is not something which is entirely positive because building roads and railways and uh, you know uh, high buildings does not mean that uh, you know the entire population is at a certain level of of uh, development. Uh, that also has created frustration within the Chinese society. Today, you see very rich Chinese people and very poor Chinese people. And people who can afford living in downtown Shanghai or at Pudong, for instance, which hosts the most expensive uh, buildings in Shanghai or maybe even in China, and some living in, you know, in shanty towns, even though they're saying that the number of shanty towns today, are, I mean, is, is decreasing. So, uh, you know. So the lack of vision in I mean in African policymakers uh, strategy or mind is is something to mention and lack of uh, goodwill of course because I I I always tell people like if it's very I mean for me it's very easy to to develop a country if the way you manage your house your own home is the way you manage the country because nobody will manage his or her own home you know in a certain way so, but the thing is that sometimes people don't think about their population or the country; they think about their self-interest. Yeah, I mean the the lack of vision is an interesting one because you know there's just a big article this week in the New York Times about Paul Kagame's vision in Rwanda, and that vision is increasingly controversial because on the one hand it's generating economic stability, oh. but on the other hand uh, there are some very severe. Uh, accusations of uh, uh, of political uh, abuse in, in in some sense. So so that vision thing is important, but it can also you know potentially cause problems at the same time. Uh, yeah, sure. Dauda, thank you so much for joining us again. Dr. Dauda Cisse is a research fellow at Stellenbosch University in Cape Town. He joined us from Uppsala, Sweden, where he's uh, doing a research 
a three-month research project at the Nordic African Institute. Uh, Dauda, we hope that it will not be another year and a half before you come back. But in the meantime, what's the best way if people want to follow what you're reading and writing these days? Well, uh, they can access uh, everything that I'm reading or writing, particularly writing on our website uh, under www.ccs.org.za and they can follow us on uh, Facebook uh, with ccs.stel, stel, S-T-E-L-L, or on Twitter with at ccs underscore stel in capital letters. And the CCS stands for the Center for Chinese Studies. It's an excellent resource for anybody interested in uh, Sino-African politics, culture, diplomacy, and, of course, economics. So you'll find Dauda's wonderful research that's there, including, and I highly recommend this, check out the 2013 annual report. And Dauda had a very interesting uh, article and contribution to that as well. Kobus, if people want to follow you, where should they find you? Um, I'm on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. I'm tweeting the top China and Africa headlines almost every day. And uh, just a very quick apology out to to folks. Uh, we had some, We encountered some problems with our mobile app. So if you've been following us, uh, on your iPhone or Android. I just want to let you know that the the account is back in good standing. We, we kind of let it lapse there for a little bit, but uh, it's back in good standing. So you can find us in the Apple uh, iTunes store. Just look for China Africa Project. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. You can listen to this latest podcast. So it's a very convenient way to stay on top of what's going on uh, in China Africa news. Uh, we hope you'll check it out. And of course, if you'd like to follow this podcast, the best way to do it is right over on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Both of them just look for China Africa Project. So until next time, we'll be back with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.